This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. In the news this week, Volkswagen is celebrating 75 years in the American market. And we'll give you some of the highlights along the way. Talk about the prospects for Volkswagen in the United States going forward. It's kind of fascinating to see where that brand is going here in the U.S. One of the oldest car brands in the world has announced it has begun production of a new hypercar that might be the last of the world's super-fast gasoline-powered sports cars. We'll tell you about the brand and its exciting plans coming up. I can guarantee you this, you probably won't guess the brand, but uh, it'll be interesting to hear. And the Dubai police have a very unlikely new police cruiser in their fleet this week. We'll tell you what it is and how it all happened coming up in this segment. Matt Lorenzo has deep background on that to share with you. America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com, EMLancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Hi, I'm Jack Red. With me is guest co-host Matt DiLorenzo. Matt is the author of How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, a tightwad's guide to EV ownership. He's a car expert with impeccable credentials. I'm honored to have him on the show always. Chris Teague has uh, succumbed to a respiratory illness this week, so glad to have Matt fill in for him. You've heard Matt before if you listen to the show. Matt, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. It's always great to be here, Jack. What have you been up to, Matt? What's been going on? Oh, just uh, hanging out, trying to update my book. Uh, there's a lot of changes that have happened um, to the law, you know, people can get their $7,500 uh, tax credit as a rebate at the dealership. So uh, we can talk a little bit about that yeah, later on. But I um, think we will. yeah, that that lot lot of changes in the new year. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it is a new year, and we have a very cool car. You have a very cool car to talk about in this week's show. What is it? It's going to be a report on the Corvette E-Ray, which is a hybrid Corvette. It's 650 horsepower. It's the fastest Corvette you can buy. And uh, it's a little bit different, not only from the hybrid uh, powertrain, but also in its execution. Uh, we'll get into that a little later as well. Yeah, we will. I'll be road testing the 2024 uh, Hyundai Santa Cruz. That, of course, is one of the pair of small pickup trucks that was fairly recently introduced. I guess it's two or three years ago now. I had a chance to drive the Santa Cruz on one of my frequent trips to the desert. And I'll tell you about that in the road test segment that's coming up. Uh, we're going to use our guest co-host, Matt DiLorenzo, as our special guest as well. Uh, he is an electric car expert. And also, uh, both he and I are on the North American Car of the Year jury. Recently, North American Car of the Year announced its North American Car of the Year for 2024, along with the Utility of the Year and the Truck of the Year. So we'll talk about that. On previous shows, we talked about uh, the contenders. Now we can talk about what won and, and why. Uh, but before we do any of that, let's dive into this news about Volkswagen commemorating its 75th anniversary in the United States. Uh, it got off to kind of a, a fumbling beginning. Uh, a, a Dutch businessman actually brought two Volkswagen Beetles over in 1949 to launch U.S. sales, and uh, he had a, a bit of a hard time 
with it, actually. Uh, and it wasn't until 1955, so I guess that's six years later, if my math is correct, when Volkswagen of America was formed. And kind of that's really when they, they got going on this. But uh, they were selling uh, not only Beatles, but the Volkswagen bus uh, in 1950 here in the United States when you and I were uh, just a, a blink in our mother's eyes, right? Yeah, it's amazing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting that they have been here for such a long time. And they are a dominant part of the automotive culture. I mean, a lot of people recognize the Volkswagen name. You tell them about the Beetle. But it was almost like a flat, you know, in, in, the, in its history, a flash in a pan because um, the Beetle didn't get big until the mid to late 60s. And then 10 years later, it kind of petered out. And Volkswagen, since that sort of golden era in that, that 60s and 70s time frame, has struggled. You know, they've they've tried to come out with small, affordable account of boxes. The Japanese came in, kind of undercut them on price a bit, uh, better quality, things like that. And they found their footing, ironically, with SUVs. So it's, it's kind of interesting, um, their story arc uh, from where they started with these cheap economy cars to where they're now, most of their profits come from uh, premium priced SUVs. Yeah. A lot of people look at the Japanese as having led the import craze, but really it was Volkswagen that was the the major, major import. And, you know, I think at one time they were selling uh, close to a million cars a year in the United States. Just did a terrific job uh, with basically one car, with the Beetle, uh, you know, and the the famous tagline, think small, right? Right. (laughs) Right. And uh, something they used over and over again. Uh, That tagline was launched in 1959. Uh, they had the Beetle, the bus. Did, did you own a Volkswagen along the way? I mean, you're a small car guy. I mean, no, you know, the closest I came was owning um, a 1980 Dodge Omni that had a Volkswagen engine in it. <laughs> it had a, a 1.7 liter engine that Chrysler was buying from VW. But yeah. uh, I've always admired their designs. I think, um, uh, you know, they got trapped by the Beetle in a way. It didn't advance. It was air-cooled. It was cheap. It was affordable. A lot of young people, it was their first car. But with the emissions and, you know, people wanting more from their cars, um, the, the, the Beetle became as outdated as the Model T. It was as popular as the Model T, but it became a, as outdated as a Model T. Yeah, and, I, and a kind of a, same, a similar arc there, right, uh, to, the, right. to Ford staying with the Model T certainly too long and maybe Volkswagen right. staying with the Beetle too long. I, I mean, I owned a Beetle for a while, and then I had a, a Volkswagen bus that I d- drove back and forth to college in 1968, actually. It was pretty cool, although it was unbelievably slow. You could put a brick on the accelerator as uh, your cruise control, and maybe you would go 70 miles an hour. It kind of depended on which way the wind was blowing. I felt like <laughs> I was sailing it sometimes rather than driving. Yeah. It was kind of crazy. You know, and it's amazing that those, like, 17-window uh, VW buses, some of them are going for over a hundred thousand dollars in totally restored, you know, pristine shape, which I, it's just astounding. And, but it shows, you know, young people, when they have a car that captures their imagination, when they get to be old and they got some money, they'll, the sky's the limit in terms of trying to get what they want. Yeah. So, 
I mean, the Beatle became so strong that when they discontinued the Beatle, there were constant cries to bring it back. And along the way there, I was editor of Motor Trend, I think, at the time. And, uh, you know, I posited that uh, Volkswagen bring back the Beetle in a different form, basically using the Gulf underpinnings or typical front drive, more modern underpinnings. And darned if they didn't do it about two or three years <laughs> I later. I mean, I, I wrote a column to that effect, and uh, they uh, ab- absolutely did that with the new Beetle that was launched in 1998. So I, I feel like a little bit of fatherhood there. Whether my column go. had anything to do with it or not, I'm not sure, but it, it could have. Yeah. Yeah. And the retro styling kind of helped it, but it was more of a flash in the pan. I mean, I they went through two generations of the car, but it never reached the sales success as the original Beetle because, again, times have moved on and, you know, yeah. it, it's just uh, not the right car for the time. Right. There were uh, anymore. There were nations where it did really well and others that it didn't do so well at all. Well, yeah. we were talking about this hypercar from uh, a brand. I frankly had never heard of it, although... I have Czech heritage, and it does as well. Uh, The brand is Praga, one of the oldest car brands out there. A brand, I'm kind of a car historian. It's a new one on me. The Praga Bohemia, um, not Bohemia, although Czech Czech Republic is Bohemia, essentially, is a car that will be hand-built, very low numbers, be very light, uh, something we've been talking about on the show, how these light cars are really cool. 2,200 pounds or so with 700 horsepower, Matt. I mean, that promises to be one flashy car, huh? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I've never heard of the brand. I mean, I'm familiar with Tatra. But, you know, Czech engineering actually has been quite advanced. And so I'm glad to see, you know, that there's something new that I haven't learned about and it's coming back. And We'll just have to see if it succeeds or not. Yeah, they're going to uh, sell them for $1.5 million or so each. Wow. So, uh, you know, hold on to your wallet. But uh, it should be very, very <laughs> cool. I look forward I look forward yeah. to traveling, uh, traveling over to Prague, where I was this past summer, to do a little road test of this. That would be a lot of fun. There you go. And the the Dubai police cruiser that we're talking about is the Urus Performante from Lamborghini. Oh, to be on the Dubai Police Department, huh? They've got some pretty... Uh, cool rides, don't they? They do. I had an opportunity to go to the Dubai Auto Show with GM some years back. They were doing a Corvette launch there, and um, we went to a police substation, and they had like a Bentley Continental. Uh, They had like a Lamborghini Aventador, too, as a pursuit vehicle. And so, uh, yeah, they got some dough over there, and obviously they lavish it on their law enforcement. They're not defunding them in any way. They're, they're really giving them some awesome rides. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I think defunding the police doesn't happen over in the Middle East. Yeah, quite the contrary, not. I think. It does not. Uh, well, when we come back, we'll be road testing some very cool vehicles, including the Corvette E-Ray and the Hyundai Santa Cruz. So stay with us for that. With Matt Lorenzo. this is Jack Red with you. And stay with us through the break. We'll have our road test coming up. See you then. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with guest hosts Matt DiLorenzo. I'm Jack Red with you. I forgot my name there, Matt, but I, I recovered. I, I got it. And I, I want to remind our listeners, if they like America on the Road, please uh, pass it along to somebody who uh, might like it as well. Let them know when you listen to this on the radio. Uh, if you want to pass along a podcast, that's available. So please do that. But uh, we road test a couple of cars every week and interview some really interesting people, including guys like Matt DiLorenzo, who I'm going to interview a little bit later in the show. But right now, Matt's going to tell us all about the Corvette E-Ray. 
Tell us about that. Well, during uh, Car of the Year testing last fall, I had an opportunity to drive the new uh, E-Ray, which is a hybrid Corvette. So basically, it's run by a, 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 a V8 engine driving the rear wheels that makes about 500 horsepower. And then there's an additional 150 horsepower electric motor on the front axle. So it puts out a combined output of about 650. It's zero to 60 time is blazingly fast. It's like two and a half seconds. It's the quickest Corvette you can buy. But, you know, when you drive it, it really, really is a civil, easy to drive, fun to drive vehicle. And its purpose is a lot different from um, uh, the Z06, uh, which is more uh, geared towards uh, track days and that type of thing. So um, it's just a terrifically fast, uh, grand touring kind of feel to it um, that makes it really its own kind of unique beast in the in the uh, corvette line but it's incredibly fast it's great looking um it's one hundred and five thousand dollars. it's a real solid answer to both uh, mclaren and ferrari at half or a third of the price of what they're charging yeah yeah a really cool car i got a chance to drive at the same time you did or not simultaneously but in the same event uh and it was so fun uh and one of the things I really liked about it was uh, it indicated when you were getting electric torque. You know, it, it mm-hmm. made it very clear. Okay, right now, here's some torque coming in, and you could feel it. But you could also yep. actually see it on the dash panel, you know, an example mm-hmm. of that. I think that kind of stuff uh, just gives that uh, kind of a specialness, doesn't it? Well, you know, it's interesting because if you look at a lot of Formula One cars, they are hybrids. They have electric power and they do a lot of uh, energy recovery and that type of thing. And, uh, you know, Chevrolet has done a really cool job in utilizing that technology and putting it on the road. I I can't, you know, uh, the Ford GT doesn't do that. Uh, A lot of these other uh, supercars or performance cars, they have dabbled in hypercars or or hybrid cars. uh, powertrains, but it's usually in vehicles that cost millions, not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So my hat's off to, for for GM for doing this and kind of thinking a little out of the box of, well, what would this vehicle be like and how would it be used? And and again, I think them coming to the conclusion that it's going to be more of like a grand tour, a car that's going to eat up a lot of uh, road miles rather than being a uh, purpose-built track special. Yeah, I think you've got to give Chevrolet and, and Corvette, the Corvette engineers and the people associated with Corvette, a lot of credit for staying the course because they have kept that vehicle relatively affordable. I mean, this is a car that's over $100,000, but in the overall scheme of things these days, that isn't a, a giant amount. And this is approachable for a lot of people, uh, especially compared to the supercars with which it competes, but cost, as you mentioned, two, three times as much. Right. There's a, a lot of credit due, I think, Chevy, in, in this. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you could get an Escalade for the same money. <laughs> right. You know, big SUVs cost $100,000. And and here's this really exotic-looking, high-performance two-seater that uh, you can't, um, you know, you just can't, you can't beat the, the cost value relationship on it. Yeah. 
What did you like most about it? Was it just its overall uh, ability to be both docile and then super fast when you needed it to be? And I, I think the handling was terrific, too. What, what are some of the things you thought were really good about it? I think that's it, the accessibility, that it's a very uh, easy car to drive. Um, you you just don't feel some of these supercars, you almost feel like you're in over your head. You know, they're 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 so powerful. They're so almost skittish in a way. The E-Ray is very predictable, very easy to drive, very easy to drive fast. And and I think that's and then it has all the excitement of a under three seconds, zero to 60 acceleration. So uh, it, it's really a well done all around sport tour. Yeah. I mean, that kind of acceleration is really mind boggling. We kind of throw off those figures these days and because there's frankly quite a few cars including a lot of electrics uh that exactly. will go zero to 60 in, in three to four seconds but that's kind of mind-blowing performance and when you're behind the wheel i i used to do uh drag strip testing for motor trend long long time ago and just getting in the gas all the way and going in a straight line with that kind of acceleration it kind of makes the the blood flow out of your head it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy it does. It does. The other thing about that is uh, the accessibility of that power, too. It isn't like one of these things that you have to uh, get the revs up or anything. The power comes on almost right away. It's very accessible. Wherever you need it, it's there. So, yeah. again, hats off to Chevrolet. I mean, that's the beauty of the electric uh, supplemental motor, right, and and the right. hybrid powertrain. It's just instant yep. torque, bang, zoom, you got it, and... Uh, like you say, easy to drive fast, and I like those kind of cars. They're a lot of fun. Yep. Well, I was driving a vehicle that was a lot of fun, too, and I, I hardly know how to describe this. I, I guess technically it's a pickup truck. I'm, I'm talking about the, the uh, Hyundai Santa Cruz. At the same time, in the right form, and I had it in the right form with the turbocharged engine and more horsepower, it's kind of a little sports sedan in a way. I mean, it uh, handles really, really well. So it's kind of a sports sedan with a pickup truck bed uh, behind you and the ability to haul around as many as five, uh, five people. It's a vehicle I like a lot. It's available in two forms. One is a bit milder than the other, uh, but uh, both of them are uh, pretty accessible in terms of price. Of course, the base Hyundai Santa Cruz Costs about twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars, something like that. Uh, when you add all wheel drive, as you probably would want to, that would add fifteen hundred dollars to that. Um, then, when you get to the turbo model, uh, quite a bit more. the The price, as tested for the vehicle I had here, I have the Monroni label right here, is forty three thousand dollars. Wow! Uh, so that's quite a bit for a little pickup truck. But in a lot of ways, this is a lot more than a little pickup truck. I think there's a lot to like about it. You've probably driven the Santa Cruz too. What's your overall take on it, Matt? I agree with you. I think, you know, uh, people like pickups. Pickups have been growing in size. So I think uh, uh, there's been this hole that's opened up in the market uh, for something smaller, li exactly like the Santa Cruz, like the Ford Maverick. And uh, I'm glad to see it. I mean, I think it has the utility of a pickup truck, but the drivability of a small SUV, uh, which it's, you know, based on the Hyundai Tucson. So you get all that sort of car amenities. It's, it's based on the same platform. Uh, it's a unit body construction, so it's pretty tight. It's, it's just a, a fun, different vehicle. And there are people who, who need them. 
you right. know, they can do a little bit of hauling and, and yet have room uh, to, to carry around five people in comfort. Yeah, we did some hauling, including hauling luggage. And of course, you mm-hmm. have that pickup truck bed, but in the in the Santa Cruz that we had, and I think in in most of them, it's going to have that lockable tonneau cover over it, and uh, right. you know, lockable tailgate. So essentially, you got this gigantic Giant trunk, trunk. Uh, you know, where which is uh, very valuable. I had all kinds of luggage in there because we were, I was traveling with women. You know how they are, <laughs> um, and uh, I guess I had a suitcase too. But uh, you know, it it soaks up a lot of luggage. Uh, let's put it that way. Pretty good interior space too. And as you mentioned, it, it essentially has the same interior as the Tucson, uh, which is a pretty upscale uh, interior. So overall, this is kind of from from behind the wheel. You feel like you're in a, a little, very pretty sprightly sport utility. Even with the base engine, it's got 191 horsepower. The turbocharged engine 281 horsepower from a two and a half liter four-cylinder engine again turbocharged vehicle it feels really and it gets the power to the pavement and it has a suspension to match uh when i was driving this thing i i was thinking sports sedan more than i was thinking even suv Mm -hmm. yeah and i i think the uh the powertrains and the fuel economy and all that really speaks well uh, to a vehicle this size. I, I, I just think they did a really good job in executing it. And it's you're not going to see one coming down the road. <laughs> you know, it really is a unique vehicle. So uh, I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the Santa Cruz. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of both these vehicles. I think we had some pretty nice vehicles here. Santa Cruz, certainly a lot more approachable, even to $43,000. That's half the price of the, the Corvette E-Ray. And a lot of fun. Maybe not as much fun as the Corvette E-Ray, but uh, still a lot of fun. And when we come back, we will be interviewing our special guest, who is Matt DiLorenzo. And we'll be talking about the North American Car of the Year, what was named Car of the Year, why we think it might have got named Car of the Year, what the truck and utility of the year were as well. So stay with us for that. And uh, we'll be right back with more of America on the Road. I got this letter from a reader the other day and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats, you made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises, but at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. I'm not saying it did happen, but it could have. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com, and it's available direct from the publisher EMLancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red at Amazon.com or emlancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack and Red back with you. And uh, Matt is our special guest for the show, but he's also the guest co-host. One of the reasons I, I wanted to use this segment to talk with Matt is we are both North American Car of the Year 
jurors. Uh, recently, the North American Car of the Year, Truck of the Year, and Utility of the Year were announced at a special ceremony in Detroit, Michigan. I was lucky enough to attend. I was on the stage, actually. One of my last official acts as vice president of the jury. I have now retired from that post, and like madam, just just a plain juror these days, but uh, some pretty cool stuff. Uh, Toyota Prius and Prius Prime were named the North American Car of the Year. Uh, how do you feel about that, Matt? Well, I voted for them, so I feel pretty good. <laughs> good. <laughs> you know, it was kind of interesting because the finalists were um, uh, three different. There was a pure electric, the Ionic 6, and the Honda Accord, which included the Accord Hybrid, and then the Prius and Prius Prime. And I, I like, you know, the, the Accord was a really terrific vehicle, and it always has been a terrific vehicle. It's sort of the benchmark for family sedans. But the Prius really kind of moved the needle when it came to uh, the fact that it had a plug-in hybrid, uh, over 40 miles of pure electric range, and the styling. The Prius had always been an oddball from from a styling perspective. And for a while, it actually worked for it. I mean, people bought the Prius because it looked different from everything else, and everybody knew you were driving a hybrid at a time when, you know, that was kind of cool. Then, I don't know what happened, but they kept trying to push the styling more and more to make it stand out, and they went the wrong direction. Well, this time, they, they really cleaned it up. It's a beautiful car. And I think uh, the combination of the looks, the pricing, the fuel economy, and the fact that a plug-in hybrid kind of points the direction that the industry is going, kind of tipped it in in favor for me to give you know to give it my vote. Yeah, I have to admit, I split my vote between the Accord and the Prius. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think the Ionic Six is is quite a good car, but kind of me too now, given what we've seen from Hyundai and Kia over the last couple of years. Exactly. So I thought, well, and the Accord is really good. I think the only place it might fall down is in terms of styling. And and maybe it doesn't Mm -hmm. fall down in terms of styling for its intended buyers who don't necessarily want to stand out. It's not bad looking. It's good looking. It's just not startlingly good looking. Right. And I think the Prius is in a lot of ways. I mean, it it startles people how good looking it is. They cost about the same. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you could say you get a much bigger car for the same money with the Accord. And if you get the Accord hybrid, you get uh, startlingly good fuel economy, too. But I think the Prius was a very, very good choice. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you, especially about the Accord. I love the Accord. I've owned Accords. But, you know, remember back in the mid-80s when they came out with the sedan with the pop-up headlights? I mean, they were willing to take a risk. They they were willing to kind of be cutting edge. And I think they've they've gotten more conservative, which uh, maybe they're appealing to their audience, which is will probably be a more conservative audience that doesn't want an SUV and wants more of a traditional family sedan. So I agree. I think they're listening to their market. I think they're very successful in their market. But I think with the Prius, uh, Toyota took a chance. Uh, they're pushing technology forward and deserve the honor so yeah interesting to me that the the prius is so good looking and then their electric the bz4x <laughs> uh, maybe not you know not maybe so it's much. pushing the the envelope in the the old prius way rather than the new prius way i mean that was a vehicle i guess that uh, also qualified could have could have been uh in the car of the year consideration over time 
or I guess utility of the year because it's more of a utility, right. quote unquote. Uh, although you can make the case that it's more car-like than it is utility-like. Interesting, I guess. Uh, on the uh, let's let's uh, segue over to talk about trucks. Were you surprised that the Ford Super Duty was was named Truck of the Year? A little, but I, you know, the more I think about it, and I did give it some points. That again, that truck segment showed where the industry is headed, and it's headed in a lot of different directions than what people think it is. So here you had uh, the Colorado midsize truck, which is very nice, right? From Chevrolet midsize truck, right? You know, I gave I gave some points to that. Uh, you had the Silverado EV an electric pickup truck. And then you had this Super Duty, which was a fairly significant remake of the of the previous truck. I believe that the Super Duty won for its drivability of all things. It is a massive truck. It's big. It's, you know, it's can tow a lot. It can do a lot of heavy work. It comes with either a gas or a diesel engine. It's fairly efficient for, for what it is. And it's comfortable and easy to drive. And so I could see, I, I, for all those reasons, I, it makes sense for me that uh, Super Duty was uh, truck of the year. The Silverado was interesting exercise, but it was a work truck. It was not trimmed out to be sort of the truck that a normal consumer would necessarily buy. And uh, Ford already broke ground with the Lightning last year, which was the, was the truck of the year. So for me, it was really kind of a toss-up between the Colorado, which again is competing in a in a existing segment, moved the needle some in terms of styling and capability, but didn't didn't move it enough for me to to, to earn the top honors. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that pushed me toward the Ford Super Duty in that in the truck segment was we're looking for vehicles that would be segment leaders, kind of benchmarks in their segment. And I think the Super Duty absolutely is. I think there's no doubt that that's the segment leader among heavy-duty pickup trucks. As good as the Colorado is, I don't know that it's the segment leader. There's a lot of good ones, and we're going to see more as the Mm -hmm. uh, new Toyota Tacoma comes on board. We're going to see a new Ford Ranger in just a a month or two. I I wasn't convinced that uh, the the Chevrolet Colorado was going to lead the segment, so that kind of pushed me in favor of the Super Duty, and I, I think a lot of jurors probably felt the same way. Yeah. And like I said, it, it really shows, you know, there's a lot of activity in the midsize segment. There's a lot of activity in traditional full-size pickups and uh, the coming electrification in, in the segment as well. So there's a lot to look forward to in the years ahead. I think if the Silverado EV had been trimmed out as a consumer vehicle and that was ready for us to test and that was actually going to go on sale uh, in 2024. That vehicle would have had much more of a chance. But I think in work truck trim, and uh, work truck trim that cost you know $75,000 or something like that, that was maybe a bridge too far there. And and even you know if we saw the RS, which is going to be the first um, the first truck RST, I think they call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's going to be $105,000. Again, for me, the price there might be a bridge too far. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about utility. I mean, maybe utility, uh, utilities are kind of the new cars anyway. Uh, maybe this is the most important award in, in a lot of ways. And the Kia EV9, uh, one of the first, maybe the first affordable three-row uh, pure electric vehicle uh, was named Sport Utility of the Year. Uh, 
Thoughts on that? I like the vehicle a lot. I think the styling is good. I think the package uh, works really well. I, you know, for the footprint of the vehicle, they did a really nice job in in uh, arranging the space inside to take advantage of the uh, low mounting of the batteries below the floor and having a shorter uh, front end and, and front and rear overhang. So for the packaging, it, it, they did a great job. And it, it was a fun vehicle to drive. I mean, it was quick. Very easy to drive, light steering, good uh, suspension. We had an opportunity to do a little bit of off-roading in it. Uh, very capable there in terms of uh, hill descent and some of these things that that uh, will allow you to actually use this thing off-road. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think it was really good. I kind of split my vote on that between between it and a latecomer, you know, my original contender was the uh, Volvo EX30, which was it's an affordable electric small SUV. But Volvo wisely decided to pull it out because it, it's not going to be on the market till mid-year. And uh, in its place, the the fourth place vehicle moved up, which was one of my favorite was a was a Hyundai Kona. And one of the reasons why is because it comes in a gas version and it comes in a pure electric version. And I really like the electric version. It had about 250 miles of range. The pricing on it was good. There are others out there in the category. So maybe that other jurors thought, well, yeah, it's really good, but it's not showing me anything new here. Yeah. I'll tell you, I do like the Kona too. I think it, it was, it's a remarkable value in both both uh, iterations, both in the conventional and, and the uh, electric vehicle version of it. So... Pretty cool stuff. Well, it was an interesting North American Car of the Year session. Now we'll just do it again next year. And already <laughs> yep. starting. We're already starting to evaluate vehicles that are going to be available uh, next year for this. So, And when we come back, we will be taking listener questions. So stay with us for that with Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack Red with you. And we're so glad you're with us. Stay with us through the break, and we'll answer some questions when we come back. Welcome back to America on the Road with guest host Matthew Lorenzo. This is Jackie Red back with you, and it is a listener question segment of America on the Road, and uh, we have some really interesting questions from our listeners this week. Of course, we have a very bright listening audience, obviously, because they ask really smart questions. Uh, if you'd like to send us a question, send it to editor at drivingtoday.com. That's editor at drivingtoday.com, and we'll answer your question on an upcoming show. We'd also love you to pass along America on the Road to uh, someone who you think might like our show. Uh, easy to do. Let them know when you listen to the show on the radio, uh, on this wonderful radio station, or uh, pass along a podcast because we're available in podcast form as well. And so if you do that, we would be beholden to you forever and ever. Or maybe a little longer. Well, here's a listener question. This is from Rita in Suffolk, Massachusetts. And she says this, I th I'm thinking of buying a used electric car. Am I crazy to do that? Do you have any recommendations for me? Matt, you wrote the book on this quite literally. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Tell us about it. Well, Rita, you're not crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, it depends on what you need the car for, whether it's electric or not. And there can be an electric car if, if it's uh, you're using it for local driving you're not looking at something to where you need a bit a lot of range you can find um affordable uh used electric cars also there's a federal incentive that you can apply at a dealership if you buy a used car four thousand dollars right away 
if you qualify. So that's another reason to kind of shop a used electric if if you're in the market. And, you know, uh, there's been a lot in the news recently about, you know, Hertz getting rid of their 20,000 Model 3s. Uh, that's another enticing way to get into a used car. You could you could get, and you know, used rental cars have always been a great source of, of buying a used car. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want a used car that's been beat up and driven by a lot of different drivers and stuff. Well, rental car companies are in business to make money. And a car that's broken doesn't make them money. So actually their main maintenance is probably better than a lot of people who own own used cars. So I wouldn't be afraid of like going into Hertz and, and checking out a Model 3. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I mean, my oldest daughter is still driving, I think 11 years later or something like that, a uh, r- former rental car that we bought her as a one-year-old car uh, when she was 16 years old. So uh, we can attest to the fact that buying from a rental company is it's not a bad right. way to go sometimes. And I think one of the things that's fair, fairly new and maybe uh, unknown to a lot of people is this new rebate, tax rebate for buying a used electric car, kind of more democratic <laughs> version yeah. of uh, this tax incentive. Uh, talk about that a little bit more. Well, on used ones, the, the vehicle has to, it, it can only be applied once to any particular vehicle. The vehicle has to be bought from a French, from a dealer that's signed up into the program, uh, you're entitled to put the $4,000 down directly on the vehicle if you have certain income limits that you meet. I I think you can't make more than $150,000 a year. And the vehicle itself has to be priced somewhere under $25,000. And the um, rebate is proportional to the price you pay. So like every, if you don't pay, if you buy a $10,000 one, you may be only entitled to like $2,000 rebate, but it's something. Um, The thing I would caution would be, I wouldn't go for the cheapest EVs, the oldest EVs out there for two reasons. One, uh, there is battery degradation in the 10 year or older EVs that aren't as good as the newer EVs. And some of these early EVs did not have fast charging capability. So I'd stay away from those, but anything else uh, above that or newer than say 2015 to 2017 or newer, I'd check them out. I, I recommend them as a as a good second car in the household. And I think that's a good caveat too. They're, they're probably much better as a second car than as your loan car. If it's your loan car, Correct. maybe not. Maybe that's a little too difficult in terms of the metal gymnastics you have to go through and get that charged, right. especially with a vehicle that's liable to have very limited range, I think, is a used car. Right. Let's take another uh, listener question. This is from Ben in Huntington Beach, California. Ben says, this, I heard you talking about Hyundai's announcement about hydrogen and was interested in what they had to say. Can you tell me more about it? Do you think it has any chance of really happening? You know, let me recap a little bit what we said in last week's show, and it was about uh, an announcement that happened at CES very far-reaching announcement from Hyundai about developing basically a hydrogen economy, a hydrogen value chain uh, where vehicles would be powered by hydrogen, uh, there would be waste to energy development of hydrogen. We'd have other technologies kind of chiming in AI. Of course, AI has got to be involved in everything these days, right? I mean, when you go to your refrigerator, you probably have to consult with AI before you you know, figure out how you make your sandwich, I think. But um, a pretty far-reaching stuff. And what I had to wonder uh, last week was 
how far this can go, given the fact that we have such a small hydrogen infrastructure. I mean, the electric infrastructure is gigantic compared to the hydrogen infrastructure. What's your overall take on this, Matt? Well, I I think it's it's there's going to be a role for hydrogen to play. Right now, Hyundai offers the Nexo, which is a hydrogen-powered fuel cell vehicle. Toyota has one in the Mirai. There's a heavy-duty truck maker, uh, Nikola, that started out with battery electric, and they're, they're pushing hydrogen-powered fuel cells. So I think there will be a role to play. And I think um, uh, heavy-duty trucks could be the door that opens up fuel cell technology to a wider array of people. You know, keep in mind, when diesels were first coming out, the only place you could get diesel was at a truck stop. So when diesel cars came out, people had to go there. And the truck stops provide a national infrastructure uh, for the fuel. And so, yeah, I I think it's going to be like a, we look at the future automotive technology. I, I kind of refer to it as sort of like a Chinese menu of, you know, one from column A, one from column B. And hydrogen has certainly have a role to play in that. And it's an interesting fuel because it can be used in either a fuel cell a vehicle, it also can be burned as a fuel like traditional gas. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's abundant. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting to me about hydrogen and maybe stands in its way is the fact that hydrogen is very, it's out there in, in abundance, but it's always combined with something else. And you have to kind of jump through flaming hoops to get pure hydrogen. Right. Uh, and, and here's an example of it. One of the things they talked about was waste to hydrogen. So that involves the fermentation of organic waste, food, sludge, and livestock manure. Hey, welcome to our show, where you create biogas. Then you have to do stuff to biogas to separate the carbon from it, to turn it into hydrogen. Well, why not just burn the biogas? I mean, gas burns pretty pretty clean in a, right. in a vehicle engine, in a typical piston engine. Right. So, again, a, a lot going on here, but I think pretty I think, interesting. I think part of it is predicated on fuel cell technology. And I'll never forget the time uh, Jeep had this commander fuel cell vehicle, and basically it ran on methanol. It had a reformer on board, that would convert the methanol into hydrogen to run through, you know, the um, the, the fuel cell to, to make electricity to drive the vehicle. I likened it to having your own refinery on board. And I, yeah. you know, I, that's not, you know, that's not where we should be going. I think we should be concentrating on, as you said, a pure hydrogen infrastructure. So um, we'll see what happens. Though. Yeah, we will. We will. Well, you are the expert on this as the author of How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. Tell our listeners a little bit more about that book, Matt, and where they can get it. Well, you can uh, get it either at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com or through my website, tightwadgarage.com. And it basically is a, a, a book on all the basics and what it takes to own an electric car, how they work, how to buy one what sort of uh, tax incentives and, and rebates you can get. I have a directory in there of all the affordable electric vehicles that are under $50,000 that are on the market today. Um, maintenance concerns, uh, insurance, safety, home charging, public charging, everything you need to know about owning an electric vehicle, which is not exactly like owning a gas vehicle, is in this book. So uh, I think it, it, my goal here is to help educate people on what it takes 
to drive an EV and leave that choice up to you. Yeah, that is How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad Guide to EV Ownership by Matt DiLorenzo. Look for it. It's a great book. If you're looking for uh, books on other subjects, how about crime and murder? Uh, Look for my uh, latest thriller, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller inspired by true crime. So that's available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle form. And uh, again, as we mentioned earlier in the show, if you like the show, please pass it on. Let others know about America on the Road. We're growing and we appreciate that. You're the reason we're growing. You're the reason we do what we do. So look for our podcast. You can sign up for that. And of course, listen on this radio station every week. We are very thankful to our Sports Map Radio Network stations for carrying America on the Road. I'm thankful for Matt DiLorenzo for being with us as a great co-host as usual. Matt, thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's great being here. And join us. Yeah, well, join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own, or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR Factor. I'm Jack Arney Red, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, The GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed. Inspiring all that is the best in you, The GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read The GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's The GR Factor by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out.